I repeatedly lose my pen when I'm up here for prayer, requ- prayer requests, so Cindy got me something. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cindy. To- she also got me a box of pens in my own. <laughs> yeah, no. Cindy seeks to meet many of my safety needs as well. When I used a sermon illustration about how I like to run, the next week or two I got lighting, I got safety running equipment, safety lights on my hat and bands. Thank you. Um, let's look at, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a forecast of, the fighter verse. So, but first, let's look at verse eleven of the fighter verse in our black box. It says, "More than that." So, the verse eleven is the last verse, and that's for this Sunday. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now re- received reconciliation. Um, I, I want, I want to, as as pastor, lead us more to take the a weekly verse or two and really whether we mem- put it to memory or not just put it before us and so in the after this passage after verse 11 starting the next week we're going to have four verses from Romans 5 15 that I preached yes last Sunday which will be the the importance of the encouragement of scripture and then the passage of the God may the God of hope unite us that passage, and then welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So we're going we're gonna to take those over three weeks. And then after that, over probably 16 to 20 weeks, we're going to take um, uh, a guide from, and we're going to memorize through it. My, my brother-in-law's name is Chris Bruno, and he is a New Testament theologian. He's a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. I'm actually get, get to be with him tomorrow. Uh, for a few days in Washington, D.C., at a pastor's conference at Mark Dever's church. But Chris wrote a book called The Whole Story of the Bible in 16 Verses. And, and so he, he wrote a little book in order for somebody to be able to see the whole forest of the, the, the Bible by looking at 16 important trees in the Bible, using the imagery of, of understanding the forest for the trees. And so what we're going to do is we're going to memorize those 16 verses and so the first one's on creation, and the second one's on on mankind, and then the third one, I believe, is on the fall, and the fourth one is on the, the promise uh, of redemption, and then Abraham, and we're going to go through and through 16 weeks, and I'm just going to really encourage the youth and families and all of us to just to just really see the progression of the storyline from from Genesis, the last one is in Revelation. And I think they'd just be great verses. So they're actually 16 passages because a few of them actually have two verses connected to it. But we're going to do that. And I, I just hope that we, we will just be really helped and blessed by it. Um, tonight we're going to look at Mark chapter 2 again. We're going to see the end of Mark 2, and we're going to take a bigger section. And so turn, actually, you don't need, to, you can, but you can, you have, if you have a white sheet, does anybody need one? If you do, Mike will help you out. If you need a white sheet, raise your hand. Looks like everybody got it. Good. So um, we have the whole text here, and we're going to look at four stories. And, and, and I want to 
before we do that, before we read these, uh, read these stories, I want to, I want to look at two people. I want you to think about this. There's maybe not two people, but two groups of people. One is a person. So we have on this side, Jesus. And when I think of Jesus, when I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus from what we've learned and our learning from the gospel of Mark. And then, um, can most of you see that? Is that, is that visible? Okay. The other is the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and so we have the two of them. So what do we know? What do we know about those two? Let's, let's name some characteristics. Let's start with the Pharisees. What words come to your mind? Okay, political. And, and literally, they weren't very political, but they were political in a different way. And that they're always worried about who's going to get ahead and all of that, stuff like that. What else? Hyper-legalistic. In fact, oh man, let's stop right there. Um, Lisa, what does hyper-legalistic mean? Okay. Okay. The, the letter, okay. In fact, we're going to go even further and see tonight something even beyond that. They're just going beyond the letter of the law. They're actually going beyond the letter of the law. And uh, they're expand. They're they're making up their own laws. What okay? What else do we think of when the Pharisee, we think of the Pharisees? Okay, showmen. Um, there were people that were play actors that would act like one thing, but you know they're not really. It was an act. That's where we got the word hypocrite. And that's. Jesus actually calls them hypocrites. What, okay, what else do we think of Pharisees and scribes? Anything else? What, what are their, um, hmm? Yeah, impious, you mean like proud and want people to see? Yep. Yep, self-righteous. In fact, they thought they were something. Yeah, they're outward Outward focus on their action. What's that? Yeah. Yep. Own eye. Yep. They thought they were something. What's that? Yeah. I'm going to put that with, yeah, ego. ego. Okay. (laughs) Anything else that you can think of? Okay. What was their attitude towards, towards people not like them? Yeah. So we could add cold. Cold. What else? Okay. Holier than thou. What? Yep. Judgmental. Were they accepting? <laughs> no. So they're they're just... Okay, now... What do we know about Jesus? Let's just list some things, especially from the gospel of Mark so far. 
Okay? Humble, where do we see his humility? Yeah. So he's not showing off. He's definitely not showing off. He's also humble in that he comes in humble birth. I mean, he's in, he is, he has a humble upbringing right away and he goes in and, yep, good. What else? Okay. We're, oh yeah. In fact, we've learned he's a teacher like no other teacher. I mean, with authority, not like the scribes. So teacher, with, but with authority. What else? Yep. We healer. I mean, he's healing everybody. I mean, people are coming in the mobs are coming. They're touching him. And we're going to see that even more like when the, like in chapter five, when the woman touches him on, when he's walking through, what else? Yeah. Yeah. There's he, wisdom like no other. But he's speaking, I think that's part of his authority, is there's a wisdom. Um, he knew the word. Absolutely. He, we say, oh, he's God, so of course he know. He wrote, wrote the word. But he knew the word. He learned it as a human being. And, and, and yeah, what else? Yeah, compassionate. In fact, we're gonna, we saw that last week where... He calls Levi a tax collector and he's sitting with sinners and publicans and he's, he's a physician. So we remember, okay, physician for the sick, but spiritual physician. What else? Clayton, what else? Put you on the spot. What? Holy. He is absolutely without sin. He's going to be accused of being a sinner. He's going to be accused of being with sinners and therefore a sinner, but he's absolutely holy. Okay. Um, I think we've kind of covered, we've said compassionate. He's humble. How did he embrace sinners? Yep, he was forgiving. Yeah, remember? In fact... Forgiving, that was his attitude, but he also has the power to forgive, right? Remember, remember when the paralytic, he said, he said, I have the power to forgive, so, and, and only God has that. So you got these two. And so I want, with our, this in mind, we're going to now see four stories, and I want us to think about the differences that we see between these two, these two sides, in a sense, uh, Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. Before we do that, um, were these two groups practicing different religions? Okay. Yes, that that's true, but that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were both Jews, and they both were following Yahweh, God. They were both, yes. And so this is not, you know, they're both in, in both of them. And, but Lisa's, uh, you know, you're saying, okay, he, he's of the father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But in, 
<laughs> Jesus is actually going to say in John, you are of the, your father, the devil, and you do his works. You know, you, you know, and so, okay, let's look at these four stories. We'll do, take them one at a time. If you, if you want to, you can, I, I, on the back, there's a place for writing notes. And actually that's, has the four headings on there, but let's, let's take them one by one. Um, Okay, the first one is the story from last week we looked at. So we're going to go through that one pretty quickly. Now, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, follow me, him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclined with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw him, saw that he was eating with tax collectors or sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. So here, what do we see in this passage Jesus doing? Let's summarize it. Yeah. Yeah, he's teaching the Pharisees how he views what he's been called to do, his role. And what is that role? To call sinners. I love the hymn, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And it just it's just beautiful. That, that, that idea is Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. And, and Jesus comes and he is saying, and he, he says, I'm a physician, I'm a spiritual physician, and the sick, I'm come for the sick. If you're, if you're not sick, I'm not here to come for you, but reality is everybody needs him, and so you better get sick. <laughs> and of course, the point is everybody is sick. Problem is, Pharisees don't see that they're sick. Um, okay, how do the Pharisees, well, before we get there, that's what Jesus said at the end. What was Jesus doing in this passage? Before that. What's that? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, no, what, so he came to the sea, and what, what did he do? What did he do in this event? This, I'm just, I mean, he, he came by and he called Matthew, which is Levi, and then he goes and he's reclining. Uh, which means he's reclining with these. We talked about this last week, so I don't want to get into it. But last week we talked about how what Pharisee, what tax collectors were there, the scum of humanity in this time period. And Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to call you out and you're going to be my disciple. And you're going to go, you're going to be with the others and we're going to make fishermen. That's what God loves to do. He loves to save sinners. Uh, it, it's so, and, and we said this, Jesus said, I'm a physician. I came not to call. I, I, those who are well have no need of a physician. The Pharisees, were the Pharisees too well to have a physician? 
Yeah. But were they? Is anybody too well to need a physician, spiritual physician? No. No. The, the problem, how many of you know, maybe been in this position or know people that one of their biggest problems is everything right now is going way too well for them in their life. And they're blind to their spiritual desperation because it's not going well in their soul. Do you know people like that? I, I do. I know a lot of people, and we probably know a lot of people that their lives are so messed up. And it's so difficult. But I also know a handful of people where it feels like everything is just so put together. And they, they're, they're not, they don't see their need. Okay. Um, how, are, how do the Pharisees and scribes respond in this story? Uh, were they hopeful and concerned that God was going to do a great work among these Tax collectors and sinners? No. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think, why do you, we're going to get in, we're going to get into this because the next story is going to be they're going to, Jesus, the disciples, I mean, the Pharisees are going to keep picking on Jesus's actions. Um, the, the Pharisees were really strict and really religious in their action. They, I mean, they would go up, I mean, they're, they're going to, they, they're told to not associate with sinners. And so that means they won't touch any sinner that, that does a certain category of sin. They're going to, they're going to do things like keep the Sabbath, don't work on the Sabbath. So they, over time, these rabbis put together these things, says, we want to make sure we don't work. Work constitutes going at least about a half a mile and it's 1,999 steps. And if we go more than 1,990 steps, they didn't even have a step counter like a Fitbit, (laughs) but, um, but, but. Or, or a smartwatch, but they, but they, if they went over that, that was working. They, they could, you could not untie a knot on a, if, if you had a sandal and there was a knot in it, you couldn't untie it because that was constituted as work. They had all, they made all these lists. Now, do you, can you, can you name the verses where they found those in? Actually, you can't. And why can't you? They were not biblical. That's right, Kathy. They weren't biblical. And so they made all these rules. They said, God wants us to do this. And so to make sure we don't do this, we're going to build this wall all the way around it to make sure we don't even get close. And that can sound holy. But, but when human beings do that, they start to make these safe boundaries and they put their trust in those boundaries and their keeping of those boundaries and they forget what the whole law was about in the first place. And in the Pharisee, and by the time of the Pharisees, we're seeing them doing that so clearly and it makes you wonder um, that they, have you ever seen this where people seek and they like rules because it's safe and they can have control. 
I've seen that, and it's in human nature to want that. And I think the Pharisees, they're seeking control and rest in their own self-justification. And is Jesus coming, and he's messing up their plans? He, they had everything figured out, and Jesus is just, he's kind of, he's just throwing it out, and they're frustrated because he's ruffling their feathers. Um, okay, let's look at the next story. Now, Jesus... Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So, who's John? Yeah, John the Baptist. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. And then he uses an analogy. He switches metaphors, and he says, no one sews a piece of, we're going to stop here, but he says, no one can piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away. And then he uses wineskins in the same thing. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Now, before we... I want to, let's stop here. Does anybody know if the Bible in the Old Testament instructed the Israelites to fast on a regular basis? Because in this case, the Pharisees were fasting and John's disciples were fasting, but Jesus and his disciples were not fasting. Where do we get in the Old Testament that the disciples were Christian, where God's people were to fast? Anywhere know? Anyone know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. In Esther, I think in Nehemiah, Nehemiah calls them to fast. There's one, I think there's one regular instituted time of kind of like fasting, and that was around the Day of Atonement, and that week before, they were to do it for only like one day, and there were many times when during a season of repentance and a desire to seek the Lord, a king or a leader would call on the people to get on their knees and they pray and call out to God and they would, they would cease from eating and they would cry out to God and say, God, we have sinned and they call out to God. And, and so that's all we have in the Old Testament. But by this time, they, they regularly started to make these traditions that they needed to fast on a regular basis in order to be truly repentant and to truly, and almost became at times almost like this, I, I'm paying for my sins. And then, and what happened was Pharisees by the time had it in these rules and laws that they would fast two times a week. And I'm not sure how long it was to fast, whether it be it was just a meal or if it was the whole day and they would fast twice a week. And so it was, it was kind of in the religious culture. We probably do that in our culture where we kind of have these religious taboos. Like it's just associated with Christianity and it's not necessarily biblical. It may have had a original good purpose. And, and so they're doing it. it. It's not necessarily, it's not a sin to fast like they were doing necessarily. Well, if they were doing it the wrong way. And G, what does Jesus say in answer to why he and his disciples are not fasting?
Yeah. Now, in our modern society, how long is a wedding and its party afterwards? Just give me some ranges. Four or five hours. That's a pretty good range. Sometimes they're a couple hours. Sometimes they can be much longer. You think about it. Maybe they start in the afternoon. They have the wedding. Goes into the evening. They have a dinner. Some have dances and this and that. But okay, in America culture, four or five hours is probably a good guess. Could go back and forth. How 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 do you think wedding feasts went on in, in this time period? It could be a week. A week party. Week-long party. So do you want to be a faster that week? Especially if you looked forward to wedding, the wedding? No. Nobody fasts during a wedding. Like, that's, not conv- that's just not the way to go. And, and so, like, so Jesus saying, but Jesus is going to say, in the Old Testament, there was ta- there's, there's signs of a Messiah's coming. But the Messiah was never actually labeled as the bridegroom. And to, the, the bridegroom in the Old Testament was always Yahweh, God. And Israel was his bride. Now Jesus is taking on his own name as the bridegroom, Yahweh. He, said, he says, he, there, you can't mistake it. He's referring to himself as the bridegroom. And he's saying, as long as the bridegroom is here and the guests of the bridegroom, we don't fast. What is he, what is he, what is he declaring at that moment? Who is he declaring that he is? It's God. He's, he's saying, I'm, I'm something that you, sh- you need to take account of. And, and it's a pretty bold statement. I mean, when you read the Gospels, there's times where you go, that's a pretty obnoxious statement unless you really are that person. That's why C.S. Lewis said the claims that Jesus made, either he's a Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. He's either lying or he's a lunatic or he's really the Lord. And he, and he spoke like an authority and he backed it up with miracles and signs. So we find, and so we, what, the Pharisees are, are, are again questioning him. And the, or in this case, it says it's the people. Now John's disciples and the, and the people came and said this. And I think we probably would include that was probably also the Pharisees and they're questioning him. And then he just basically says, hey, we know in our culture that you don't take a worn piece that has already been stretched and it's, you know, all of that. It's already, it's it's not going to shrink anymore. You don't sew that to brand new fabric or it's just going to tear the fabric. It's not going to do that. Same way is you don't put new kind of wine into old wine skins or it'll break the wine. He says, I am coming and the old way of system of thinking has to be changed. I am coming and I'm blowing your categories out of the water. I'm coming and though I... Jesus is not changing what God did in the Old Testament. He's not making up a new religion and he is not doing that, but he's coming and the way they had been thinking was like such preschool-like thinking and Jesus is saying, I got algebra for you. <laughs> I got, I have a whole different, I'm coming, but it's great and it's glorious. So now, and I'm the bridegroom and, and what... What emotions or what what characteristics does would a, in a society where they didn't have a lot of food and 
They didn't have the abundance like you and I do. Um, a, a wedding would bring what kind of feelings to peasants that could go to a wedding? What do you think? Okay, now, that's not what I'm thinking, though. Joy. Like, they get to feast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Oh. Oh, the father. Okay. Oh, man. I got two daughters, and I'm really already thinking about that. And I'm like, oh, man. Because I watched Spencer Tracy's Father of the Bride the other day. Have you ever seen that? And he's always worrying about the money. And I'm like... Oh, I could be there. Um, I could be there. Not that grace is fifteen. I mean, so, um, so, the, but, I, but, really, the idea of bridegroom and wedding is joy. Jesus came to bring festive joy. In in that that that's the imagery of wedding and feasting and a father. And a, I mean, a, and a bridegroom is, and that's what Jesus is doing. First, we see in the chapter four, he's a physician to heal sinners. Now he's here to bring festive joy. Now look at, look at the third story. Let's look at it. Um, on Sabbath day, one Sabbath day, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay, so let's stop there for a second. Um, what's wrong with what he's doing, according to the Pharisees? Okay, yeah, breaking the Sabbath. Um, who's breaking the Sabbath? Yeah, his, in this case, it's, it says his disciples are doing that. Um, one biblical scholar says that they may have been breaking two laws in the Sabbath, according to the, the not the Sabbath law that it's in the Bible, but in the rabbinic teaching. One is too many steps because they're searching around finding grain, and they're doing things you shouldn't have to do on the Sabbath. You're working, you're harvesting. You shouldn't have to harvest on, on Sunday, or no, it wasn't Sunday, it was Saturday, the Sabbath. Um, why are you doing what is not lawful? Now, what's wrong with that phrase? Why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Yeah. We're going to see this elsewhere, but Jesus is going to say, you make the tradition of men as though the commandments of God, and that's a big deal. And we must make sure we never do that. We don't take our laws and we say it's God's laws. Um, Jesus then quotes the Bible to them. Jesus says, so they say, why are you being unbiblical? How come you're, you're breaking the law? And Jesus goes, don't you know your Bible? And they, and it is kind of a, it is in your face because they did know their Bible. And he said to them, look at verse 25. Have you never read what David did? In fact, um, We've taken a few weeks break, and after Easter, we're going to be fully into 1 Samuel again, and we're going to almost get here, 1 Samuel 21, he's referring to. But he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him, and 
And so Jesus saying, don't, don't you remember what the Bible said and how David did this? He was in trouble. He needed food and he went and he, he got it. And, and look at verse 27 and 28 are pretty astounding again. And he said to them, first of all, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Let's stop there. What does that mean? The, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay. It was, it was a day of rest. What does it mean? What does it mean then that the, the Sabbath was made for man? Yeah. And be a blessing. Yeah. It was meant to serve man, right? To be, in fact, it was a sign of their freedom. They're, they're not slaves in Egypt. They're actually free people. And they, they sit and not work. Slaves don't do that. And they, they are, they're free and they're God's people. And, and, and so the Sabbath, and, but they, they had turned it into making the Sabbath man for the Sabbath by all these laws. As though we have to serve the Sabbath. As though the Sabbath needs some help here. Rather than the help, help Sabbath is meant to be a blessing and help. Jesus is not saying we should break the, he's not saying to the disciples, it's good to just break God's law because do whatever you want. But he was saying, you're just piling up these strict rules as the, and and you add it to the man and where the Sabbath was meant to be a service and a blessing to you. And and what what, is it wrong to help somebody? Is it wrong? And we're going to see that in the next chapter. And Jesus said, he quotes David when he did this. And then he ends with this. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And that's a big, and, and they probably were gasping at that moment. They were probably going, what? The san- is, is he referring to himself as the son of man? And if so, he's saying he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, that's blasphemy. Um, one more story, and we're going to wrap up here. I love this story. Uh, again, and see how every one of these chapters now is accusations. People are, bl- they're, they're, they're going after Jesus. Again, verse, so now Mark 3, 1. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. <laughs> Look at this. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Isn't that ugly? Isn't that just so ugly? And it's just, they're, they're in, there's this, hey, that's a, there's a lot of compassion going on for that man with the withered hand right now, isn't there? By the godly, right? Wrong? I mean, there's no compassion by the, quote, godly, by the religious Philistines, yeah, the Pharisees. It says, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, I love this. So Jesus, before he does it, he asks the Pharisees a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He didn't say, is it, is it lawful uh, to go against the Pharisees' rules? He put it in their court and said, is it lawful to do good? 
on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to help somebody to, to get a, your donkey out of a hole? And would it be lawful to help your man if he's dying to help him? Would it, is it lawful for a nurse to work on a hospital on a Sunday? Or a dot? And, or is it lawful? And, and they look, he looked around at them with anger. The first time we see Jesus with anger. And he looked at, around at them with anger. Grieved at their heart, hardness of heart. Why is he angry? Yeah. Yeah. Is it? That's a good point. <laughs> They're not like that's so oh of course he's gonna heal. Let's just see let's see if he does it on Sunday and we're gonna get him. I mean it's it's laughable and sick at the same time, isn't it? And and we all need to be humble enough to go, that's what's that's in our hearts naturally is to see the glory of God and doubt him and then we, we don't do quite with the Pharisees, we don't have Jesus in our midst. But we have to be humble to understand that the heart of the Pharisees could be the hearts of, of a person that says, I think I know how God wants to work and I'm going to keep him in this little box. And in fact, I'm doing really good to bridle God's favor because I'm keeping his law and I'm doing all these things. And, and God's going to say, no. Because I'm after something much deeper, and but I'm also in mercy, and I love, and I'm coming here. And if they were really a good of heart, they would have been broken by their standards, and they would have fallen to him. And, and I love that observation, Dwayne. Yeah, they don't doubt. They're, they're there, and, and it looked, he looked around it with anger. There's another place later on in Mark where he's angry. He is angry. In fact, it's actually in John at Lazarus' tomb when they're weeping and he weeps and he is angry. And it doesn't say why he's angry. Um, but that the Greek word is anger. And he's grieved at their hardness of heart. And so to the, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. I mean, the Pharisees might have said, can't you wait one day? <laughs> you don't have to do it on Sabbath. He stretched it out and his hand was restored and the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Enough. He calls himself the son of, the son of man who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He, um, he claims himself to be the bridegroom. He is with sinners and tax collectors and now this, he just scoffs at fair, he scoffs on the Sabbath. And so we see, don't we see two stories here in this passage? I mean, we see Jesus, the one that we should fall in love with and look to and want others to see. And on the other side, we see just darkness and sin. And we just, we... We want, we want to fight to say, God, help me not to be self-righteous. Help me not to be hyper-legal. Help me to not be showman or pious or just outward or egotistical or 
uh, holier than thou and cold and judgmental like these Pharisees. And Jesus came in order to seek and to save those who were lost. Um, we're going to transition to prayer in a minute, but um, any other observations? We ju- I just finished reading the fa- final story from these four stories. What stands out to you? Maybe it's already been mentioned, but what stands out to you or is impacting or just like impacting about the text? Yeah, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What well, Jesus faced opposition, he had criticism and skepticism, and he face faces it today. Yep. What else? Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And we find that in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, you shall commit not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if a man looks on a woman, he has committed adultery already in his heart. And he's going to say, the law is deeper than this. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not see the kingdom of God. And, but blessed are the poor in spirit and those who are meek and those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness sake. And um, yeah, what else? What? Yeah. 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 Though we won't use the words too spiritual because spiritual means by the spirit of God. But maybe we could use the word religious if we mean it in the negative sense. Uh, they were religious, but not truly righteous. They, they, had, they had all, they were jumping through hoops and they were doing all these things. Yeah. 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 Now, now, would it be fair to say that Jesus was of Jesus was about grace? Would you say that? Oh, you know how we hear sometimes like this: you can be a grace person or a truth person. Were the were the Pharisees about truth? In, yeah, truth as they saw, but in reality, were they really about truth? Who is about truth? Yeah, so he's about both. Because, of course, true grace, true love cares about truth as well. But thankfully, God, can, we can face the truth with God. And through Jesus Christ, he provides us so we can face the truth and also find grace. Um, but anything else? Yeah, Lisa. Mm. Yeah, good. In fact, it's truth is like on a, you're walking. The truth is on a tightrope and you can fall off on. What are the two sides? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, harshness, you're being over harsh and be over indulgent. You're indulgent on one side, you indulge anything, and you're harsh on the other side and or judgmental. Yeah, good. Anything else? Jay, would you take over for prayer time?